Father, grant utterance this morning. Grant utterance. Speak to your people. Pierce the darkness in our soul. And let your light fill us in Jesus' name. Amen. Put your hands together. Bless the name of the Lord. Amen. Wow, man, already the end of the conference. If you, if you are not changed after this conference, there's something seriously wrong with you. Amen. But again, man, it's so exciting to be with you, uh, as it always is. You know, a few years ago when I connected with Pastor Kunli, uh, my spirit immediately knit with these uh, places they invite you to, and you go and you speak, and you go and speak so that all righteousness prevail. You know, you're invited, you're the speaker, you have to do what occasion demands of you. And then there's places you come to and you realize there's a deeper connection than just being a speaker at a conference. And a word team, I think, when was it? 2017, eh? Or 2018? Somewhere there. 17. Yeah, yeah. Before, before I came here, I think I went to Makori. I was speaking for somebody in Makori. And... Uh, then I connected with him as well. But by the time he reached out to me, the Lord already told me that somebody from Lagos would connect. Little did I know the Lord spoke to him that he will connect with somebody in South Africa. And one of the things you have to understand about such instructions is that there's a way God knits us together prophetically. Uh, spoke to me about something that would happen. I did not know him. God spoke to him as well. And so he's not just a guy that I minister for. He's really a covenant brother. Really a covenant brother. And, uh, you know, when, when, when I make certain decisions or certain moves in South Africa, he's one of the guys that I actually call and I say, listen, man, I'm considering this or we did this. Just, just give me your thoughts on it. And uh, that means because I esteem him greatly. Do you understand what I'm saying? Uh, you don't ask people questions like that that you do not esteem. You get me? And he's one of the guys that I esteem greatly. But you are blessed with this man of God. I promise you, I can perceive that this is a man of God. Amen? Amen. So never begrudge him and his family anything. Serve them to the best of your ability. You, you are privileged. I don't think people understand the privilege of placement. You, you, you know, you can be in any church, but God sometimes places you under specific unction. So you are privileged to be serving under him. And he's a covenant brother, not just somebody I come to preach for so that all righteousness prevail. Amen? Uh, but somebody that I genuinely love. And we speak often. I think at least in a month we should speak at least twice or thrice. Amen? And that's the beauty of the relationship. Wasn't that just a powerful word by Pastor Adesola? Come on, man. Appreciate the woman of God. When I landed here, I immediately placed pressure and I said, I'm just here for your session. Amen? immediately placed pressure on her. That was powerful. That was a powerful word. Let's get into the word this morning. Genesis chapter 12, Genesis chapter 22. Initially, when we started the conversation, I said to you that there's three key areas of emphasis when it comes to the apostolic. It's revival, it's reformation, and it's pioneering. It's revival, it's reformation, and it's pioneering. And we framed that for you. We spoke a little bit about why revival. We spoke a little bit about the dynamics of reformation. I want to spend some time this morning and speak about the dynamics of pioneering because these are key areas of emphasis 
when it comes to an apostolic mantle, when it comes to an apostolic grace. They pioneer something and those things generally carry the components of revival and the components of reformation. Uh, and it's key that you catch that because, you know, if we don't understand this, these phrases can simply just become nice, catchy words that we throw around loosely because we want to look important. you understand what I'm saying? And this is why I spend quite a lot of time breaking down these concepts. You know, if I teach one of the things that I do, I break down concepts so that you can understand it at this level and understand it at that level. So we're going to touch a little bit on the importance of pioneering. We said that there are three areas of emphasis when we speak about an apostolic grace. Revival deals with reviving of the soul, reviving of the spirit man. Reformation deals with issues of accuracy, issues of fullness. You remember that? And then we're going to speak about pioneering a little bit this morning. But man, the praise and worship was also good, man. You know, this boy Jerry in your Nigerian way is just too much, amen? <laughs> he's, he's too much, this boy, amen? I, I, I heard he might be getting married and I was thinking of getting him a South African wife, so... Uh, and... Uh, But the, obviously there was motive behind it and he has to move to South Africa, you know. So, so I, I thought, how can I get this boy to come to South Africa and not just visit but stay, you know. And then the man of God said, no, he's getting married. So I'll come up with a plan B before I leave Lagos. Uh, this guy's so good, man. Listen, serious, on a serious note, you are the next big thing to come out of Nigeria. Two things that's going to be critical for that. A posture of humility and the accurate configuration of your heart. Because the moment your heart changes and your heart becomes carnal, it will not happen. With all the potential, with all the grace, it will not happen. God does not reward carnality. Then a humble posture, make sure the configuration of your heart remains the same. But I'm telling you, you are the next big thing that's coming out of this nation. Sure grace, a sure, sure, sure grace. You know, there's talent and then there's grace. And there's a sure grace upon your life. So I was so excited when I heard you ministering. I recorded you last night so I can listen to Wonder One, Wonder Two, the entire, uh, the entire, the entire night. I was in the hotel room doing Wonder 1, Wonder 2, and, and Wonder 3. I mean, the man of God, I didn't even get out of the car when we got there. I was just listening to it, and I'm like, okay. So by the time I get back home, we'll be doing Wonder 1. Uh, that's powerful, man. That's so powerful. So powerful. Let's get into the word, Genesis 12, Genesis 22, and then we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 11. We are speaking about a pioneering grace. Then the Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, your father's household, the land I will show you, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. Now, one of the things you have to understand about the Old Testament of Scripture is that these men are typologies of the apostolic and typologies of the prophetic. They do not necessarily go by the labeling uh, in that regard, but what they are building and those expressions they are releasing in the earth carries with it apostolic realities, 
prophetic realities and even fivefold realities. You understand what I'm saying to you? And so the Old Testament is generally typologies of what is to come. And so when you look at Abram, Abram is a type of an apostolic grace. Are you with me? Because Abram is about to pioneer something and build something unique to God's blueprint in the earth. Are you with me? Genesis 22:18. He says, "In thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed." Why? Because you obeyed my voice. Why? Because you obeyed my voice. Now, a prerequisite for pioneering is always obedience. Let me put it to you this way. If Moses decides that he's going to build an ark to the exact specifications that Noah built it, even though it looks exactly the same, it's an epic fail. It's an epic fail because he's trying to create a success narrative instead of building something that is authentic and unique to the dimensions that God gave him. And one of the struggles we have when we try to build apostolically is that we pursue a success narrative more than what we try to build a prophetic reality. Now, what do I mean by that? If God calls Pastor Kunli, there's specific instructions and detail to his journey that is absolutely unique to him. If God calls Brandon Bailey, there is certain instructions that are unique to me. And so even though I come to Lagos and I say I like what I see, I've not been instructed to duplicate. But in a success narrative, we tend to generalize graces. And if something does not fit the generic definition of success, we call it a failure. We call it that it's a fail. So if Moses decide one day I'm going to get up and I'm going to build an ark exactly the way Noah built it, as beautiful as that vessel is, it's an epic fail. Because the apostolic is not in pursuit of a success narrative. It functions through obedience. And if that means God places you in a village where there's 20 people and that is the fellowship you have to run, you are successful. If God places you in a city like Lagos and God gives you 10,000 people and that is the instruction he gave you, you are successful. So Abram is a blessing to the nations, not because he's just building haphazardly or carelessly or trying to create a success narrative, but he's a blessing to the nations because he obeyed God's voice. He obeyed God's voice. This means that your obedience then helps God to transport a measure of grace that he has designated for a specific people in a specific time in a specific place. Disobedience then produces the opposite. Because disobedience deprives a people of a grace that God wants to transport to them in a particular season, in a particular time, in a particular place. So he will be a blessing to everybody in the earth. Why? Because he obeyed God's voice. And this is the thing that people don't understand. We preach about obedience as if it's something easy. Obedience is not that easy because there's always a contention between success, the shorter route to get there, and the longer route to get there. Obedience tends to take time. Obedience tends to be a little bit of a frustrating cycle. And there will always be an area of contention in you if you are not dead to self. 
Because if you don't die to self, the things that are alive in you will always sell you a success narrative. It will always sell you a shorter route. It will always sell you an easier path. I remember when we set out to, to, to plant Telios Church in Johannesburg as part of a Pentecostal denomination uh, in South Africa. As an assistant pastor in a local church. And when God told me, you need to leave here and plant the church. One of the, 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 the things that came to me was an offer. And so within that denominational framework, several pastors made me an offer. And the offer was something along the lines, listen man, we have an established church in this community, we just need a pastor. You know, just go. There's a building, there's a congregation. You know how denominational churches are structured. We just need a pastor. And I realized that the objective or the, 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 the assignment was not me just pastoring a church. It was me birthing a unique faith community called Telios Church. Now, if I was after a success narrative, that would be the shortest route. Do you understand what I'm saying? But because I was dead to self already at that age, it was not something that I spent a lot of time wrestling with. Say thank you, but no thank you, because we are not pursuing a success narrative. We have to build from scratch what God wanted us to build. And we have to produce the people or a quality of people that is consistent with the instructions that God gave me. So he says, the, the nations of the earth will be blessed. But why? Because you obeyed my voice. That means that a people are sometimes deprived of being blessed because of men that walk in disobedience. Because of men that walk in disobedience. Sometimes the nations are deprived because of men that walk in disobedience. And it is key that we understand that. Because if we don't understand that, we miss it. Now, when Jesus picks up the scroll of Isaiah and he begins to read the assignment of God, the grace of God that is upon his life, and he begins to, to speak about, you know, God has called me to this, this is what's upon my life. And uh, he begins to share that. He begins to share that. What is critical and what is key for us to note is that the pronouncement of the acceptable year of the Lord's favor was also his obedience to the mantle that God gave him. You understand what I'm saying to you? So, so, so we can almost suggest that the acceptable year of the Lord's favor was conversant with his obedience to his assignment. That means until he became obedient to that assignment, the people were deprived the acceptable year of the Lord's favor. Let's read it quickly. Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, verse 16 to 19. Let's start at verse 16. Then Jesus came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, as was his custom. And again, I, I want you to note, as was his custom. There are certain customs you have to carry as a Christian. There are certain things that should be custom, customary to your journey. It's my custom to wake up in the morning at 5 and pray. It's my custom to pray through at midnight. It's my custom to fast two or three days a week. It's my custom. There should be certain customs that's consistent with your journey. Are you with me? Yes. 
you know, you're dealing with a generation that every time there's a pattern and there's a custom, they rebuke you for being too religious. <laughs> no, as a Christian, you need to have certain customs. Yeah. It's my custom to pray over my tithe. It's my, it's my custom to do that first. You need to develop certain customs in your journey with God. Are you following me? As was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath, and when he stood up to read the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, which was handed to him, unrolling it, he found a place where it is written, verse 18, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery sight to the blind, and to release the oppressed. Then he says, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord's favor. Now watch how he reconciles the acceptable year of the Lord's favor with him stepping into obedience based on the mandate that is upon his life. The acceptable year of favor follows his obedience with his assignment because up to that point he's not doing ministry. Up to that point he's just doing business with his dad. But at this point he gets an awakening and he recognizes that I've been sent to the earth for a specific purpose And he accepts that purpose, that assignment. And he says, now the acceptable year of the Lord has come for you. That means that when the scripture says, in Abram shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, it is his obedience that releases that blessing. For Jesus, it is his obedience that releases that favor. Sometimes when people are deprived in a nation, you can have high levels of activity but not necessarily driven by obedience. This is why you don't just plant a church. You are obedient to an instruction. You don't just start a fellowship. You are obedient to an instruction. And that then allows people to congregate under the canopy of their obedience. And they begin to experience the acceptable year of the Lord's favor. Or they start experiencing what is called the blessing of the Lord. And so when Pastor Kunli Zakaria obeyed the Lord, it became the acceptable year of God's favor for you. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? And in him all the nations are blessed. When Brenham Bailey accepted the assignment and the call of God, it became the acceptable year of the Lord's favor for those assigned to that particular mandate. And so the scripture says the earth moans and groans waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. They are not just revealed automatically. They obey. And then that groanings and that moanings of the earth is serviced. Are you following me? So these things are key that we understand it because if we don't understand it, the people remains deprived. The people remains deprived. So Genesis twenty two eighteen, And in your seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Why? Because you obeyed my voice. What was the obedience? Leave your household. I'm going to build you into something significant. Are you following me? Now go with me to Hebrews chapter 11 verse 10 quickly. Get for me the NIV translation and then the, the New Living translation. I want to read it from those. Those translations, the New International Version. It says, yeah, yeah. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. He was looking forward to the city 
whose foundations, sit the wood foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Give me the same one from the New Living Translation, please. We're working with time this morning, amen? amen. I'm back tomorrow morning, don't worry. <laughs> but we're working with time. Abram was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations. Now, I want you to take note of that word, eternal foundations. We're going to come back to it. With eternal foundations. A city designed and built by God. Now, again, the pioneer is attached to God. The pioneer is attached to the heart of God. The pioneer understands God's agenda. The pioneer understands God's modus operandi. And so the pioneer is not just duplicating and replicating success narratives. But the pioneer is birthing things that do not necessarily have an earthly reference point. The pioneer is birthing things that does not find its orientation within the scope of what people are already used to. Are you following me? The pioneer releases something that is a first of its kind. He releases something that is a first of its kind. But that requires a high level of obedience. Because in any environment where God sends you to pioneer something unique for him, the pressure to build what is already there meets you. (laughs) It meets you. It waits for you. It waits for you. In fact, when you go in the opposite direction, you begin to experience a lot of criticism because people think you have an unhealthy obsession with wanting to be different. And they ascribe that to some form of carnality, not understanding that it is actually deeply spiritual. You you understand what I'm saying? And and, and, and so so they ask silly questions. Why must your church be like that? Why must your church be like that? Because this is church standard. It's been like this for 50 years. And so what happened is you you start experiencing that pushback uh, from what's already there. When I come to your church, for example, and I said this to pastor, the sound is unique. You, You know, by the grace of God, I've been to a few places, but the sound is unique. Especially the worship sound. It's extremely unique. You understand what I'm saying to you? But the point is that something like that can invite criticism because people have never witnessed it yet. You understand what I'm saying? Generally when people say, I have a witness in my spirit, it's not always spiritual. Sometimes it's just, I've seen this before and it makes sense to me. (laughs) People like to be deep, they say, I have a witness in my spirit. Sometimes that witness is it just resonates with things that you know. Now when God by near something, it does not always resonate until an appointed time. And this is what happened with the early apostles when they were beginning to pioneer the New Testament church. Uh, the religious authority of the day says this is strange. There's something weird about this. And then a wise man by the name of Gamaliel gets up and Gamaliel says, we really don't know what this is. We really don't know what this is. But let us wait for this thing to run its course. Because once it matures, we will be able to pass accurate judgment upon it. 
But if we pass premature judgment upon it, we will find ourselves condemning and fighting God himself. Are you following me? There we go. But if it is, go, go, go to the previous, the previous, the, the previous one. I want to go to the part where the accusation comes. So that would, I think that would be 35 or 36. Just go back. Go, go to the previous one. Okay, let, let's read from here. Yeah, let's read from you. We gave you strict orders not to teach in his name, in this name. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teachings and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Now, of course, this is their guilt conscience. You understand what I'm saying? It's their guilt conscience speaking. Because guilt conscience always creates a context to free its soul from the judgment that's already there. <laughs> There's nobody that likes to explain a story like somebody that's guilty as charged. Amen. <laughs> You, you know, when people are, are wrestling with guilt, they will call meetings. Oh. <laughs> it's one of the things I've observed. When people are guilty about certain offenses, they will call meetings with people that don't even know. Uh, remember, last year sometime, a guy called me up. I, I did not know him and, and, and a mutual friend were going through some contentious issue. I was not even aware. So I got a call. No, man, I just want to explain to you what happened between me and... I said, I was not aware that something happened. <laughs> I'm finding that out now for the first time I'm hearing that. What happened? It's guilt conscience. Because when you are guilty as charged, you always want to have meetings to explain your side, even to people that don't know. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's why you have to be careful with these meetings that you are invited to. You understand what I'm saying to you? That's a word of knowledge right there. Amen. Let's get back <laughs> Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than men, the God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, whom you had killed by hanging him on a tree. Carry on. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put him to death. Now you can see what the accusation is, right? Carry on. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law who was honored by all people, stood up in the Sanhedrin. And again, this is the council that curates religious activity. You know, it's a council that curates activity in the city. So it's almost like you have to pass through them to really be an ogre in the, in the ministry. Are you with me? If these guys don't recognize you, 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 are, you are not an ogre. But if they recognize you, you are an ogre. You understand what I'm saying? Uh, so, yeah, you, you catch what I'm saying? Like if this man does not lay hands on you, ah, he, he's a prophet, but he's small, small, you know? And if they lay hands on you, you're a prophet now. But a Pharisee named Galileo stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the man be put outside for a little while. Now I want you to see wisdom. Then he addressed them, man of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, and he's now giving them a track record of men who failed. Some time ago, Judas appeared claiming to be somebody and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, all his followers were dispersed and it came to nothing. Next verse. 
After him, Judas the Galilean appeared and in, the, in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed and his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go for if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. Human origin. I want you to see that. So a pioneer does not birth something on a human level. He births something from the spirit realm where he gets a download directly from God and he configures it to the understanding of men. Carry on. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourself fighting against God. Now, again, what I want to draw your attention to is that the church became offensive because these men, number one, they were wrestling with their guilt conscience, but number two, this thing was the complete opposite of the religious practices that drove their agenda, that drove their ministry. It did not resemble that. And they became the judge of it because it did not fit into their reality. It did not fit into their context. It did not fit into their expression. And so when you get ready to pioneer something apostolically, one of the things that you will have to guard religiously, so to speak, is that uniqueness, that peculiarity that God has given you. Because that then becomes what God has given you so that you can send it and duplicate it even in the nations. But the pressure to conform and to change that is real. And what would happen for a church like this, and it might have happened or it will happen, is that sometimes your greatest criticism will be you are becoming a cult. It will be your greatest criticism. Because when people don't understand something by the spirit, they start labeling it a cult. It's not necessarily a cult. It is just not fitting the mold that a culture has created for anything called church. And those type of things can give you an unhealthy imbalance with where you find yourself. It can make you question the legitimacy of your experience. It can make you question the legitimacy of your encounter. It can make you question the legitimacy of your faith community. It can make you question the legitimacy of your leaders. It can make you question their motives. And so for you as a church, this is prophetic, this is a word of knowledge. For you as a church, one of the things that you will have to fight off, not just in the natural sense of fighting, but spiritually overcome, is those type of accusations that are labeled when people do not understand a unique expression that is gaining momentum amongst the people. And this is a unique expression. And prophetically, I can tell you, momentum is increasing. Momentum is seriously increasing. And so when God calls Abram, he says we're building something, but it does not belong to the mold, the current mold you are attached to. We are building something, it does not fit the mold of what you attach to. But you have to divorce yourself from that, and I'm going to take you into a space where we're going to birth something that is unique to Abraham. Are you following me? And God does that because God does not duplicate man-made things so that he can find relevance in the heart of man. The gospel is not something that we repackage so that the flesh can understand it. 
The gospel is not something we reconfigure so that the flesh of men can relate. Did you understand what I'm saying to you? No, it's not that. It's, it's not something that we repackage so that it can make sense to the flesh of men. It is something transformational. That when it hits you, your flesh don't make sense of it, but your spirit cries for it. And that is what happens when Jesus saves you. Because everything in your flesh is against it. But it's that inner part in your spirit that wants it. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? That's the born again experience. Think about when you became born again. Everything in your being said, you know, this Christian thing is not for me. But there's something deeper in your spirit that says, I sense something's happening. I sense a difference. I sense a change. I sense a shift. Do you understand what I'm saying? And when I became born again, I tell you how I became born again. So my dad was part of a religious, we were religious Christians. And we went to, not Pentecostal or charismatic churches, we just went to, no religious churches where you don't have to be born again, but you're a Christian. You, you, you know those type of churches, like where you never confess Jesus as Lord and Savior, but you're a Christian. You get me? Yeah. So my dad became born again, and uh, and uh, my dad was a very hard man. When he became born again, all of us were forced to become born again. <laughs> he forced us. So I was the I was a bit of the the, the last to come into the fold, man. He just got upset with me one day. <laughs> he said to me, he said to me, I see you chose a soccer team that conveniently fixtures, put their fixtures during church time. <laughs> I used to play soccer. You will continue to play soccer if you can find a team who plays on a Saturday. But as long as you can't find a team that plays on a Saturday, your soccer has ended. <laughs> it is. So I ended up going to church. But I did all the old ritualistic thing for his sake. Just for him. Just to appease him, you know. Because when you live in the house with an old man, <laughs> your actions are generally just to appease them. You don't, you're not really convicted or convinced or... You just... <sighs> I'm not going to fight and argue with you every day. You want me to do that? I'll do that. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Because we generally, as African kids, we don't like fighting with our parents. So we just do things to appease them. But then I think for three years, I did this whole religious thing, you know. Three years later, I had a genuine encounter with God. And I shifted from just having religious exercise to really having a conviction in my spirit. Now, what was happening in the three years prior to that? My flesh was trying to make sense of something spiritual. My flesh couldn't make sense of it. That's why Jesus said to his disciples, to you it's been given to know, not to them. It is something that becomes an awakening in your spirit, man, and it opens up for you, and it does not make sense to your flesh, but it makes 100% sense to your spirit. And when I came into that encounter with the Lord, things shifted. Because now it's been given to me to know. But what was my struggle? I was trying to know spiritual things after my flesh. You get me? So back to the point, when you pioneer something, you are not repackaging spiritual things so it can make sense to the flesh of men. 
but you are releasing spiritual things so that man can find transformation and bring his flesh into obedience to that which has now hit him by revelation and is beginning to resonate in his spirit man. And this is why the flesh never gets it. The flesh must be brought unto subjection. Do you get me? Because the flesh do not understand the things of the spirit. But as our spirit man begins to increase, we now bring the flesh into subjection. You will obey this. You will submit to this. You will yield to this. You will give yourself to this. You will surrender yourself to this. The flesh is brought into subjection. So when we pioneer the things of God, we don't find a carnal way for it to make sense for men. We preach in the dimensions of the spirit and man catches it in the spirit and he reconciles it with his flesh and he brings his flesh into subjection with that word. That subje- word subjection is a very strong word because it literally means you impose the will of the spirit upon the flesh. The flesh is weak, but the, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So the spirit brings the flesh into subjection. And so when God says, I'm bringing you to a space where you are pioneering something, Abram is not trying to make the expression relatable. Because if you have to make the expression relatable, in every cultural context, you will have to change it. Are you following me? If you have to make the things of the Spirit relatable, In every cultural context, you will have to change it. And that cannot be the gospel if it keeps... (sighs) Do you understand what I'm saying? It cannot be the gospel if it keeps... So what he's preaching in Lagos, he must be able to preach it exactly like that in Johannesburg. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? Because we are not trying to make the gospel relatable. We are touching your spirit, man. And when the lights go on, you bring your flesh into subjection. Are you hearing me? And that is the weight of the things of the spirit. That is the weight of the things of the spirit. That's why Jesus rebuked his disciples and he said, you couldn't watch and pray with me for one hour. They did not know how to bring their flesh into And so you highlighted something earlier when you spoke. You said, I see the energy of the people. Uh, Nobody's tired. What is happening with the people? The dimension of the spirit is bringing their flesh into subjection. That is why they can sit for hours, work for hours. Because the weight of the spirit is so strong and the flesh is in subjection. That is why at the end of the conference, the energy levels are still high. Because you have learned how to bring your flesh into subjection. Did you understand what I'm saying to you? We came here, we saw these boys running. And it was what you were referencing. Normally at the end of a conference, you're tired. And even though your flesh is genuinely tired, your spirit keeps on bringing it into subjection. You following me? It keeps on bringing it into subjection. And so, we're not making the gospel relatable. We are 
penetrating your spirit man until your spirit man brings your flesh into subjection and obedience of that. And so when God calls Abram from it, he says, if you stay there, you're going to find a way to make my sound relatable. If you live and dwell amongst them, you're going to find a way to make my sound relatable and to, to make it connect with them at least at a level they can, they can connect with. So come out from there so you have no reference point. Come out from there so you have no reference point that you model it against. Come out from there so there's nothing that resembles what I'm giving to you. Because your flesh will just duplicate that. Are you following me? And so he calls him from there and he divorces himself from man-made patterns, man-made methodologies, man-made ideologies. And he begins to give him a deeper download of the spirit. And at this stage he's going to give him a divine pattern. A divine blueprint. Because when we build apostolically, we don't duplicate. We produce authenticity. You get what I'm saying? If I came into this church and I could place your sound, I could place it, then you have duplicated something that's already there. But nobody can place it. It's unique to this house. It's authenticity. Are you following me? It's authenticity. It is not man-made, but it is divinely imparted to the heart of a man. And it is divinely constructed according to that heavenly blueprint. And the Apostle Paul also speaks about it in in, in the book of Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 10. The Apostle Paul speaks a little bit about it. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 10. talks about building according to the pattern. According to the grace of God which was given to me. He says, as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation. As a wise master builder, I have laid the foundations. But what is he building according to? Not existing structures, not existing references. He is building according to the measure of grace he received. He is building according to the measure of grace he received. He says, I build according to the grace I received. I build according to the grace I received. I'm not modeling anything, duplicating anything. I'm building according to the grace I received. And God in his uniqueness chooses the Apostle Paul that did not walk with the original 12 to build something to show you that Paul tapped into a dimension of the spirit and is not just duplicating what he saw Jesus did when he walked with these guys. You understand what I'm saying to you? But he's uniquely assembling and constructing something from the realm and the dimensions of the spirit. Now, I want to labor that word wise master builder there. The word wise master builder there, it comes from the Hebrew word. In the, it's literally the English word architect, but the Hebrew word for it is architecton. Architecton. It's the word architect. And so when you read a scripture, you'll, you'll see that the words are used interchangeably. Another translation would say, like an architect I build. Another translation would say like a wise master builder I build. These words are just used interchangeably in scripture. Are you following me? It's the, it's the Greek word architecton. And that word simply means a chief constructor. A chief constructor. Now, in the realm of the spirit, the process of construction starts with revelation. And the apostle is not constructing a building. He's constructing a mentality. Are you following me? 
He's not constructing a building. That means that even if you guys are not in this building, the mindset that he has constructed through teaching will be prevalent in another building. It will be prevalent in an open field. It will be prevalent if you move to the UK. It will be prevalent whether you're in Canada. Because what apostles does is they construct mentalities. This is why when you go to Winner's Chapel, there's a way that people reason. Bishop David Oyedepo for years constructed a certain mindset. You understand what I'm saying to you? Uh, you go to, as a Pastor Chris, there's a way the people in Christ's embassy reasons. Because it took years to construct a certain mindset. And so when we build, we are constructing mentalities and mindset that represents the divine blueprint God communicated to the heart of your chief constructor. Are you following me? But it starts with a process of revelation. Because if men do not come into revelation, there is nothing to impart. If men do not come into revelation, there's nothing to give. You can only build through the modus operandi of revelation. In the scriptures, the first time Jesus uses the word build is when revelation was released. Matthew chapter 16. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. But my father who is in heaven and on this foundation will I now build. But what was the prerequisite for building? It was revelation. And so you cannot be an apostle if you don't have a revelation that is peculiar to you. And again, don't miss me. I'm not talking about the basic tenets of our faith. I'm not talking about the basic tenets of our faith, the basic beliefs that we all live by as Christians. All of us can teach that. All of us subscribe to that. All of us have a Bible from which we derive the understanding of that. You understand what I'm saying to you? So when God calls Brandon Bailey, what was the instruction to him? What was the revelation he gave him? Mature my people. Teleos. Maturity. Perfect. Complete. That was the instruction. When he spoke to you, there was a revelation peculiar and unique to you. That he gave you. And so when you called this assembly, you spoke from that place. You understand what I'm saying to you? And so one of the key traits of an apostle is revelation. When I say revelation... Don't get confused on that word because, you know, we always use the word revelation as some deep, mysterious thing that when, you, you know, you have to be like a, a guy hidden in a cave for 20 years and then when you came out, alas, the Lord spoke and It's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that there's an expression unique to you and so the people that you raise, they begin to embody that expression. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? It is God revealing a dimension to you. To somebody, he gives him dimensions in the word of faith. To another one, he gives him dimensions in apostolicity. To another one, he gives him dimensions in the prophetic. And that revelation then, he comes and he constructs. Now, what makes him an apostle? First and foremost, he carries the revelation. But secondly, he's able to impart and activate people and conscientize them to that same level of understanding. Yeah. Because one of the key drivers of apostolic ministry is to disciple and baptize people into that measure. The book of the, the Bible expresses that severally. And these ones were baptized into Moses. And these ones were baptized into Jesus. And these ones were baptized into that. And all of them have gone through a process of discipleship where they began to carry the unique qualities distinct to the sound of the individual that released it. And so, 
the, 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 the prerequisite for building is revelation. But then that revelation then is not so that the carrier or the custodian of that revelation can gloat. But it is so that he can disciple. Are you following me? God does not give us spiritual content so that we can gloat. He gives it to us so that we can disciple. And the greatest revelator to walk the earth is Jesus Christ. But Jesus gets us 12 men. And he activates them and conscientizes them to the measure of grace given to him. And like a wise master builder, he constructs mentalities that would become the foundation for the New Testament church that will run perpetually even to the year 2022. And that is so profound because in the year 2022, the chief constructor initiated a process of discipleship that still holds. So watch the progression. The apostle carries a revelation. The second mark of the apostle is he's able to produce disciples. The third mark of an apostolic grace is longevity. Longevity. Because years after you have passed on, people still carry that unique measure. Uh, one such man here was Archbishop Idaosa. He's no more, but the grace is obvious. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's obvious. Another man that is globally renowned that we know that carried such a measure is Canada Egan. He's no more, but the grace, the dimensions of revelation God gave, it is, it is everywhere. So he gets the revelation, disciples the man, and builds longevity into it. If it can't hold, it's not apostolic. If it can't produce disciples, it's not apostolic. If it can't hold, it's not apostolic. If it can't produce disciples, it's not apostolic. Because the apostolic grace is not something that is suspended in every generation. It runs perpetually from generation to generation, from time to time, from era to era. And so he says, Abram, I'm calling you to a place and you're going to construct certain mentalities. Now what is Abram? Abram is the father of faith. <laughs> it's the year 2022 and we are still speaking faith. It is the year 2022 and we are still speaking faith. Because true apostolicity outlives time. And this is why he was looking for a city whose foundations was eternity. Because he was not processing something out of time. He was... Are you hearing me? And so those things then becomes key. It becomes key to constructing. It becomes key to constructing. Uh, and so the scripture says he's looking for a city whose foundation, whose maker, and whose builder is the Lord. Now watch this. Now why do they use the word city? Because he's not speaking necessarily about a physical city. Cities, God. Cities reveals mindsets. Cities reveals mindsets because if you walk in a city you can see a mentality so 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 there's parts in lagos where you can walk to and and and, and you can see that a place is beautifully constructed and then there's other parts in lagos where you walk and you can see the people don't care 
But what you can derive from all of that is the mindset that is prevalent in that part of the city. Are you working with me? And so when the scripture says Abram was looking for a city whose builder and whose maker was the Lord, he was looking for places where the mind of God was constructed. He was looking for places that carry the value and the traditions of God. He was looking for places that understood the mentality of God. And so you have to have this picture of Abram. You have the picture of somebody that is a journey. He's on a journey. And every time he stops at a city, he's looking at the mindset that's been constructed and grafted in that place. And he says, this cannot be God's city. And then he moves to the next city. And he looks at the mindsets that's been grafted and constructed and the way people live, the way people interact, their evaluation of marriage, their evaluation of money, their evaluation of relationships, their evaluation of fellowship. And he says, this cannot be the city of God. And then he gets to another city and he looks at what is their definition of marriage. Is it between a man and a woman? And he says, no, in this city, in Sodom, they don't believe that this cannot be God's city. And so the scripture says he was looking for a city, which meant that he was trying to see what apostolic mindset constructed these cities. And here's the problem. Here's the problem. The city of God reflects God. The city of God reveals God. The city of God resembles God. The city of God looks like God, sounds like God. It has his value system in place. It has the things that is compatible with his nature in place. That's why Abram could not settle in Sodom and Gomorrah because it was not the city of God. Now watch this now. As long as you subject yourself to this man's teaching and he is your chief constructor, as you then go out into the city in Lagos, Lagos then becomes the city of God. Because the more these mindsets prevail, the more these mindsets run, the more these mindsets are made manifest in the spaces in Lagos that God has sent you to, the more Lagos starts looking like the city of God. And this is why he constructs a mindset and you occupy space. Ah... That means that if you have a politician in your church, you will run in politics and tell politics looks like the city of God. That means if you have somebody in the movie industry, she will walk those corridors of power until the movie industry starts looking like the city of God. Because the city of God is a manifestation of the sons of God. And the earth is moaning and groaning, waiting For the manifestation of the sons of God. And when the sons of God manifest in their full measure, guess what? Lagos looks like the city of God. Now here's what's happening. Here's what's happening pre-revival. We are looking for a city whose maker and builder is God. And we will walk the lengths of the city until they have the right definition of marriage. We will walk the length and the breadth of the city until they have the right definition of money. We will walk the length and the breadth of the city until they have the right definition of power. We will walk the length and the breadth of the city until they have the right definition of God's order. 
And like Abram, we will walk through these cities until they look like the city of God. But here's the requirement. You must have a chief constructor who speaks to your spirit man. And your flesh keeps on coming into subjection. Subjection, 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 subjection. So that we can go back to what Apostle Anselm said, until they see men like God. Slip up your hands, begin to pray in the Spirit, begin to pray in the Spirit, begin to pray in the Spirit. Slip up your hands, begin to pray in the Spirit. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Chief constructor. Chief constructor. Until the city looks like the city of God. Come on, come on. Speak until the flesh comes into subjection. 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 Shekreberia broshadei. Shebredeshi eneshadei. Rabadaria broshadei. Constructing apostolic mindsets. Apostolic mindsets. Dimensions of thinking. Dimensions of thinking. Dimensions of reasoning. Dimensions of thinking. Dimensions of reasoning. Manifesting the fullness in its accuracy. 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 Just for a few more seconds before pastor comes up. Come on, just push in for a few more seconds. Push. We won't take too much time, but the grace is here. The grace of God is falling on specific people. The grace of God is falling on specific people. The spirit of revelation, wisdom and understanding is falling on specific people now. The spirit of wisdom, revelation and understanding is falling on specific people. Come on. And the word penetrates your spirit. 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 It's spirit to spirit. It is spirit to spirit. It is spirit to spirit. And the word penetrates your spirit. Then the word penetrates your spirit. And I release on you the spirit of revelation, wisdom and understanding. Receive it.
clarity, clarity of thought, clarity of sight. Raprodoshie neshede. Shendreberia broshede, lebebesia noshkede. Rapodoshie, shendele meshede. Rambodoshia noshede. Stop. A city whose builder and maker is the Lord. The city of God. We preach until it looks like the city of God. We prophesy until it looks like the city of God. We labor in the word until it looks like the city of God. We love the lifestyle of the kingdom until it looks like the city of God. We declare until it looks like the city of God. We make pronouncements until it looks like the city of God. The city of God is amongst us. The kingdom is within us. The city of God, the city of God is here. The city of God, the city of God, because we live here, because we live here. It's the city of God, it's the city of God. It's the city of God. Because we live here. Because we live here. The city of God, because we love here. It's the city of God. Because we live here